If you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 25 this morning. In Matthew chapter 25, we're going to uh, see the first text in a new series that we'll be looking at for about a month, taking a little break from the book of Genesis. And what we're going to be looking at is uh, a series that will hopefully and prayerfully remind us of the importance and the calling that we have as Christians to evangelize, to share the gospel with lost people. I want us to see that that is a calling that's given to all of us, not just some of us. And I also want us to see and be reminded of why that calling is an important one. That it is a big deal that we do that. Um, the idea that you'll hear, hear me say several times that you'll see on some different things around the church, uh, it, it's, we'll call it, who's your one? When I say that, what am I talking about, who's your one? The hope is that every one of us will have at least one lost person that you pray for every day, that you pray for their salvation, that you pray that they would be convicted of the fact that they have sinned against God, that they would be willing to listen to the Holy Spirit and come to the point of saving faith in Christ, that you would pray for them every day and that you would look for opportunities to share the gospel with them. Not that you would pray that somebody else would share the gospel with them, not that you would try to bring them to church so someone else could share the gospel with them. You can bring them to church, that's fine. But you, let me, that doesn't sound, that's good to bring them to church. But the hope is that you would seek to personally share the gospel with those lost people. So I pray that every one of you, you may have 5, 10, or 50 lost people that you pray for and look to share the gospel with, but I pray that we all have at least one person that we are intentionally trying to tell about Christ. Why is that important? Well, look with me at our text today, and we'll see the first of the texts that will remind us of the importance of this idea. Beginning in verse 31 of Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on the left. Now, as with any biblical text, it's important for us to know the background, especially when we're doing a series like this, when we just jump into a text, what's going on here? Why is Jesus talking about this? These are really important things to us, for us to know. I pray that any time you read your Bible, you ask those sort of questions. Who's Jesus talking to here? Why is he saying this sort of thing? And the background for this really begins mainly in chapter 24. We're not going to look there, but I'm going to give you a brief description. In chapter 24... Jesus had been talking about some end times things, which I know are very interesting to many of you. They're also very interesting to the disciples. And as he was talking about some end times things, the disciples said to Jesus, Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Now, many of you have wondered those same things. When is the end of time coming? When is Jesus coming back? And what signs do I need to look for? What's going to tell me that he's coming back? When do I need to be ready? Any of you that uh, your parents ever left at home for a little while and they said, make sure that you do this and this before I come back. And then they left. 
you watched real closely out the window because when you saw the vehicle coming down the road, you knew you needed to go do this and this that you hadn't done the whole time they were gone. And sometimes we say, well, I hope I'll know the, the sign so I can tell when Jesus is getting ready to come back so I can do all the things that I should have been doing all along. But Jesus, later in chapter 24, while he's been teaching about those things, tells them this. Something that many of us know, but often forget, Jesus said, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And so the answer is this, you have no idea when these things are going to take place. So what does that mean? means you better be ready, right? If we don't know when he's coming back, but there are things that we have to do before he comes back, then we better always be ready. We better make sure that those around us are ready. This teaching, today's teaching, what I just read a moment ago, what we're going to continue to read, falls under this category of things after Jesus says, you don't know the hour, you don't know when it's coming, the angels don't know, the sun doesn't know, these things will come when they come, and he's giving these teachings. And so what we see here today is something that we better be ready for all of the time, no matter what. Point one today, judgment is coming, but we don't know when. And I say very clearly judgment and not the end of time. Because sometimes we like to say the end of time. But I want to be clear that when Christ returns, when what we see happening here takes place, this is judgment. We're going to see that in the text today. This is Christ judging all people. And when he comes back, that's what's going to happen. And it might be 10 minutes from now, and it might be 10 years from now, and it might be 10,000 years from now. I can't tell you when. No one else can tell you when. And if they tell you that they can, then you better run. Because Jesus said they don't know. Let's look back at this text, verse 31. Knowing this background, let's pay more careful attention to what he says. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. And so when we see this, there are a couple of questions that I think have to become pretty clear. Why is he separating people into two sets of groups? And who are those two groups? Right? He's separating them only into two groups. One that's going to be on his right, the sheep, and one that's going to be on his left, the goats. That's the only two groups. There's not a third. There's no middle ground. Why is Jesus separating everyone into two groups? Who are those two groups? And he answers the question for us here in the text. Continue reading in verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, which are who? The sheep, right? So he will say to the sheep, to those who are on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? 
And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. And here we see the first group. They are the sheep. They are the ones that are placed on his right, which in itself tells us something because it's the place of favor. So these are placed in the place of favor. These are referred to as the sheep. These are referred to as the righteous in verse 37. He speaks to them, it says, then the righteous will answer him. Now, one thing that people can really get caught up on in this text, and in other days and times and past decades, there may not have been as much need for a lot of, lot of uh, time spent here. But in our day and time, we really need to see the importance and the explanation of what Jesus said here. Because in a day when th- sometimes social justice is seen as more important than the preaching of the gospel. We can, some people could, interpret this text to say that if you feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, go and and clothe those that are naked, if you do these sort of things for people around you, that you will go to heaven. I've seen interpreters this week, scholars, that have said as much as this. That this is what this text is saying. Is that if you are a good neighbor to those people around you, then you will go to heaven. But we have to interpret this text with all of Scripture and with all of Jesus' teachings. Is what Jesus is teaching us here is that all that's required to go to heaven is that I help some folks that are in need. That if I give to the Salvation Army, that if whenever my friend's house burns down, I give him some clothes... If I stop and give some food to the man that I see on the side of the road when I get off the interstate, if I do those things, then I'm guaranteed that I'm going to heaven. Is that what Jesus is telling us here? And the answer is no. Because if Jesus told us that here, then everywhere else he said separately he would be lying. So how do we see that? How do we interpret this then? How does it make sense? Because it appears to be what he's saying. Well, we look at the rest of Scripture. And James chapter 2 tells us that those of us that have faith, true saving faith in Jesus Christ, that that faith will be accompanied by good works. That our faith in Christ will be fleshed out on this earth by us doing things to help other people, serving and loving other people. And John chapter 15, when Jesus is teaching and the, the, the idea of Him being the vine... And us being the branches. In verse 5 he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, whoever is a Christian, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So there we see that if we are a Christian, if we're abiding in Christ, and Christ is abiding in us, then we're going to bear fruit. We're going to do good things. We're going to be kind. We're going to be loving some of the fruits of the Spirit. In Luke chapter 10, when Jesus gives the great commandment, and He says that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. They said, well, who is my neighbor? And you know what parable Jesus gave to explain this idea of loving your neighbor? The parable of the Good Samaritan. A man seeing someone that he owes nothing and that is a stranger to him and helping that man. 
We see this idea. That's what it looks like to be a Christian. When you love the Lord with all that you have, and from that flows out a love for other people, you're going to do good works. What Jesus shows us throughout all of Scripture, throughout all of the teachings of the Bible is this, is that when we are Christians, we will do these things. Now, I'm not telling you that if you do these things, if you do some good things, if you help some people that you're necessarily a Christian, but I'm telling you this, if you are truly a Christian, you will help other people. Scripture says that. You will serve other people. You will love other people. You will be selfless. You will look to the interest of others and not only to the interest of yourself. We see it in other places in Scripture, as I've showed, and we see it here as well. Jesus is not saying that people that do good things will get to go to heaven. People saying, Jesus saying, the good people that are going to heaven, righteous people through the blood of Jesus Christ, will do good things here on this earth. And so these people, he says, you will go with me to heaven. These people are righteous. And the only way that we can be made righteous is through the blood of Jesus Christ. So he says to the sheep, here's the first group that we see. There are two groups. The first group, those that are favored, those that are blessed, those that are righteous. How do we gain any of those things? Through faith in Jesus Christ. Then we see the other group. They're the group that's on the left, the place of not favor. They're called the goats. And in verse 41, we see their eternal place. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And then he goes through the same thing. I was hungry and you didn't give me food. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't come to me. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And they asked the same thing. Surprised. Jesus, when did we see you? Jesus, we've never seen you hungry. We've never seen you thirsty. People are going to be so surprised on that day. Listen, we didn't see you and, and skip over you. But he's going to be very clear with them. Verse 45, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Point two, Christ's judgment will be eternal. I want you to see that. I want you to understand that. Verse 46, these, the, the, the goats on his left, these people that are cursed, they will go away into not just punishment, but eternal punishment. But the righteous, those on his right, the sheep, Christians, into not just life, but eternal life. When he comes and he separates everybody into two groups, and if you didn't catch it, I want to be as clear as I can, the only two groups are people that are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and people that are not. Now, on this earth, we have lots of other groups, right? We put people into all sorts of groups by how much money they have, by what sort of education they have, by what nation they're from, by what language they speak, by political affiliation, uh, by all of these things, by who their parents are, by what they drive. We put folks into all kinds of categories, but in the end, there are two categories. There are people that are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ who have responded to His sacrifice by faith, by placing their faith in Him and living their life for Jesus. And there are those people that have not. And in the end, those will be the only two groups. Everyone will be separated into one of those two groups and that judgment will be eternal. There will be no appeals. There will be no more second chances. 
There are lost and there are saved. And why is it a big deal? Why should we care about that? If we are saved, why is it a big deal? Just look at the contrasts between the places that these people are going. Verse 34, and this is beautiful for those of us that are Christians. The king will say to those on his right, to the Christians, to the sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Can you imagine hearing Jesus say that? You're standing there beside Jesus and Jesus said, Come, you are blessed. You are blessed by God the Father. Come. Come, inherit the kingdom that has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Verse 46 makes it clear, this is eternal life. This is heaven that we read about. In the book of Revelation, we read about this heaven. We read about a place where there's no sin and there's no hurt and there's no pain. There's no lying. There's no separation. All of the things that we hate of this world, gone forever. There's the presence of God forever and ever. Physical presence of God. You can look and see Him singing and praise and worship of God forever and ever. That's what this place is like. That's why we pray, come Lord Jesus, come. That's why we're excited. That's why I'm not worried about when I die because, as Paul says, it's better. I'm going to gain when I die. Right? I've got a lot better home waiting there than I've got here. No offense to the parsonage. I've done a lot of work over there. It's a beautiful place. But it's nothing like the place that's been prepared for me since the foundation of the world. We're excited about that. But then we see the stark contrast that everything good about that is taken away and you take the exact opposite and that's where the lost people are going. Verse 41, Then he will say to those on his left, to the lost people, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And I think those first three words have to be the scariest words that anyone will ever hear in all of history. Depart from me. For Jesus the judge to look at you and say, Depart from me. And to know that it's not just for a little while, but forever you will be out of his presence. All of the grace and all of the mercy that you have ever known have flown from Jesus Christ. And you will see none of it ever again. You will be without it forever. Not only will you be outside of his presence and his blessings forever, but you also be headed to the eternal fire forever and ever. And I love the contrast here because verse 34 tells us that the kingdom of heaven has been prepared for people. Right? That's what he says to those Christians. Come into the kingdom that's been prepared for you since the foundation of the world. But what about hell? It wasn't meant for people. It's the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, but lost people are going to go there. We were meant for faith in Christ. We were meant for a glorious eternal life. But some aren't going to know that. Point three, the last point that I have today. Heaven and hell are real. And sometimes we know that, but sometimes I think we forget that. Brothers and sisters, heaven and hell are real places. And one is really amazing and one is really awful. In every way that you can imagine. Much worse than you could ever imagine. Just as heaven is much more glorious than we could ever imagine. And so now I pray that you see why it's a big deal that we take Jesus' command that we go and make disciples. 
that we take Jesus' command that when we receive the Holy Spirit that we would be His witnesses. That we take the teaching of Romans chapter 10 when Paul says, There are lost people that could be saved if they called upon the name of the Lord, but how are they going to call unless somebody goes and tells them? I pray you see why that's a big deal. Because real people are really going to die and really go to hell forever. Some of them because nobody's ever clearly explained to them the gospel. Nobody's ever taken the time to sit down. Maybe a co-worker of yours. Maybe a friend of yours. Maybe a family member of yours. And you know that they're lost. And you've thought, well, man, I sure hope somebody else tells them about Jesus because I don't want to have that awkward conversation. I don't want them to look at me funny because I told them about Jesus. I don't want them to think I'm one of those really religious people because I tried to bring up a conversation about Jesus. Brothers and sisters, it's not about how somebody looks at you. It's about people going to hell forever or knowing the glory of God forever. Praising the eternal King forever and ever. God has commanded us to share the gospel. That should be enough. On top of that, God deserves that we share the gospel because He deserves the praise of everyone. Christ deserves that every church everywhere would be completely filled with everybody singing His praises every day because He's that amazing. He deserves that we share the gospel. He deserves that more people would come and sing His praises. He deserves that more people would worship Him. He deserves that all people would worship Him. So we've been commanded, and that should be enough. And God deserves it, and that should be enough. And then on top of that, we think about those people going to hell forever, and they should compel us to want to go and tell to them the gospel. Brothers and sisters, there is no reason, there is no good reason that you can give me for not telling lost people the gospel. You can't think of one. If you think you have one, come and tell me so I can show you that it's not a good one. There is no good reason. And there are eternity full of good reasons to tell people the gospel of Jesus Christ. To share with lost people. To evangelize. To do missions. Whatever you want to call it. So I pray that as we begin this series, that today is a good reminder to us of things we already know. You already knew that heaven and hell were real places. You already knew that everybody's going to one or the other forever and ever. But I think sometimes we separate ourselves from that idea and we forget it. I pray today that you're reminded of that. I pray today that you're reminded of the importance of sharing the gospel. It's not just for pastors and youth pastors. It's not just for missionaries. It's for all of us. It's for all Christians. It's what we're called to do. This morning, I'm going to invite you to stand. This morning we're going to have a time where we're going to invite you to respond to the word that we've heard today. I pray that if you are here and you, if this were the day that Christ returned, know that you would be standing on his left. That you would be a goat, that you have never responded in faith to Jesus Christ. That you can look at your life and see that there's no fruit that has come from you being in him and him being in you. If that's you, I pray that you would come and talk to me. I pray that you would come and let me explain to you how you can respond in faith. What does that mean? What does that look like? I'd love to explain that to you. But if you're here today and you're a Christian and you know that you're a Christian and you know that you're going to the glory of that beautiful eternal heaven that we cannot wait for, but that you know that you haven't been telling other people about Christ, I pray today that you would commit yourself to that. To have at least one person, but I pray more than one person, 
that you would have, that you would pray for, that you would seek opportunities to share the gospel with them. This morning we're going to do our response a little bit differently. I'm going to be standing down front, and if you need somebody to pray with you or talk to you, you can come and talk to me. If you want to come and pray at these altars or pray where you are, you can. But we're not going to sing a song of response this morning. We're just going to have a quiet time of reflection. Our instrumentalists are going to play. I'm going to invite you to respond to the Lord in whatever way He's led you to this morning as we have our time of response.